Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair, and beauty source, and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best, straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today. Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our duty. Well, welcome everyone to the monthly uh, hour. It is your hour. This is Climb to Your Prime with Dr. Haim, the one, the only. He's with us right now, all the way from Sydney, Australia. The usual, the beautiful view back there. I, I cannot get past that. I mean, some people say like, you know, may may just look like a bridge, but it's it's a special bridge. <laughs> um, yeah, it is actually. Uh, they, they light it up at the moment because we have our light festival called Vivid here. And it's um, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful to be here. It's just beautiful to be here from Australia to help people who have their mental health problems and to just get the message out there that you can actually be better and enjoy yourself. Well, doctor, you know, it's, it's uh, always a pleasure having you. I enjoy this moment. This is like the hour. I, you know, uh, a lot of people actually are getting benefits of this because, you know, at least from the downloads, we know that, you know, the show is really out there and it's all over the world. So that's good. And our mission is being delivered as we've always talked about it is to help one person at a time, hopefully, you know, guide them to a better place and, uh, you know, just better being. So that's about it. Um, so I got, I got a whole bunch of questions. These, these are like a little bit of intense ones, I guess, but, but I guess yeah. nothing is intense for you, doc. I have called the confidence in you, man. <laughs> um, but you just, just a quick thing before we get with the questions, folks, we are live on Instagram, Twitch, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, we're all over the map, uh, Instagram. And so do join us, do comment, you know, on, on the comments field here. If you have any questions, we can bring them live to Dr. Ham right now. We do have a series of questions that we're going to be talking about and, and asking right now, but certainly you guys can do, uh, you know, your own uh, piece here and help us out with some additional questions live in the moment. Okay. Uh, you got, you got your number there. You have, uh, you know, the little sticker, you know, coming down, uh, on the screen. So, uh, so we're live and, uh, that's it. Doctor, we ready? We're ready. Let's get into it. All right. Uh, so question number one, how does psychiatry interact with religious beliefs? It is widely perceived that people of faith are always content and seldom stressed or have any suicidal thoughts. Uh, is this a fact or a myth? In your exper expertise, does religion accept psychotherapy? Uh, Sarah from Canada. Okay. <laughs> Sorry so, Sarah, that. that, that's, that's a big question, and you've actually asked um, about three questions there. And so we're going to look at <clears throat> how does psychiatry fit in with uh, religion? Uh, do religions accept psychiatry? And you spoke about whether religious people actually have less suicidal thoughts and are actually happier than other people, all right? So I'm going to go through those one by one. Firstly, psychiatry 
as much as we can make it, is a science. So it is based on objective knowledge, just like chemistry, just like biology, just like uh, physics, just like cosmology, right? So we try to make it objective, as objective as we can, so that it can actually fit into the worldview of absolutely everybody. And that would include people who have different faiths and people who don't have a faith or want to see it just purely as a science. Now, the thing about psychiatry is that it has to do with the mind. So the psychia means mind. And because it has to do with the mind, it brings up the idea of something that's outside our material world because science itself does not know what the mind actually is. But what we do know is that when your brain is working well and when you've got a full dose of good brain chemicals, your mind is working. What does this mean for religion? Well, religion is an internal thing. It's, in a sense, uh, taking care of ideas that have to do with a world beyond our world, whereas science takes care of ideas that has to do with our world as we actually see it. So psychiatry actually belongs in that science world, <clears throat> but it does overlap with religions. All right, so on to your second question, Sarah. And this has to do with <laughs> how much... Uh, religions actually accept psychiatry and this is actually variable uh, uh, all around the world there are different attitudes to psychiatry psychiatry is firstly a western uh, science and because of that it tends to have more relevance in the west however the science behind psychiatry has relevance for the whole world so the, uh, the World Health Organization, for example, relies on the science of psychiatry to uh, endorse its policies and how it's going to work economically or socially for people around the whole world. Now, I'm going to talk about uh, that last question that you had, Sarah, which had to do with, are religious people in a way happier? Do they have less suicidal thoughts? Do they have less anxiety and depression? And the bottom line for this is that we don't actually know. Uh, I would like to think that whatever worldview somebody has actually helps them. So helps decrease their anxiety, decrease their uh, depression and have less suicidality. However, I have worked with people who, let's say, are ministers of religion that have not only had suicidal thoughts, but have actually completed suicide. And that's very sad. It's just as sad as anybody that I have spoken to that has eventually completed suicide. So the answers are very deep. There is a big interaction between religion and psychiatry. And in somebody who is a religious person, we start talking about those things if it's relevant to their uh, situation at the time, but not always. So I hope that's a little bit of an answer to your question, Sarah, but I'm sure Hurricane's going to drill down and just... <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that? Huh? I do. Well, I know well, that. well, first of all, I do have uh, Catherine, uh, you know, with a comment. I'm going to put her as soon as I do my little, you know, I guess, dive in. <laughs> yes, you but, dive but, in. but so, so uh, actually, Catherine is a PhD, uh, neurogeriatric cognitive psychologist so she has right. a, a very deep question as well that that we'll yep. post in a minute and that uh, she is live with us so but uh in the meantime uh so so doctor i i i hear you and thank you for breaking it down but here here's the thing right i mean some people um they tend to 
more veer up towards like going to church or mosque yeah. or synagogue and and that's where they find their their psychotherapy if you want to call it that way that's where they find yes. their zen right they go in yes. prayers i mean i had a show about meditation and we talked about prayers and how it's soothing calming you know and it doesn't matter which with denomination of prayers or, or yeah. meditation type but it sounds that it's more of that you know piece to your point i mean there's always an exception people want you know in the case that you mentioned someone who's a clergy uh did wind yeah. up, you know, taking you know uh, that that measure as as an outcome, and uh, yeah. which is not something we want to hear about. But but in in the the concept of religion, people that that tend to have faith or believe in God and believe in destiny, uh, they tend to accept whatever is thrown yes. at them. So their resilience is different, and yes. therefore there is there is less, I guess, need. Uh, and 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 Indian culturally, I mean, I have to say, you know, in in a lot of you, you I love what you said, but it's a Western, you know, thing because you go to the East. I mean, you, you say to someone, I'm, and I think even the West, to, to, you know, like we, you and I we talked about. It, that's why we have these anonymous, you know, names and stuff that come <laughs> into the show because people are not really open to like, hey, I need to, you know, to talk to someone, right? And yes, you know, there's the word shrink, there's the word I'm, you know, I'm taboo, right. you know, you have all those things, so. It's been almost portrayed like you know it's like ooh it's not a cool thing right, but yeah. but but in the East you know or the Middle East or all other cultures I would say you know it's uh, pretty like you know you don't go to someone unless you're really really going through like going crazy and some yeah. I mean I mean literally, yeah. Yeah. and and the other thing is there's some other beliefs there you know that some of these yeah. folks they they have other practices i mean uh, some of it is extremely as voodoo business and, and i'm just yeah. <laughs> you know they, there's so many things depending on the culture where people have That's their right. own way of i guess coping uh okay. as opposed to dealing with the modern way which is a lot yes. easier to talk to someone yes okay so i'm going to jump in there hurricane because yeah. you brought up a lot of things and okay. you brought up as well Dr. Haim, you're talking about this being for everybody, but the reality is. So let's go through some specific studies, right? So in the 1990s, we had a study that looked at uh, the healing possibility of prayer. And uh, this was done in California. And people were, uh, with heart disease were lying in hospital and their names were given to people to pray about. And the study showed that these people did better in hospital and people got really excited about this. Oh, prayer helps. So we did another study. We did another study on alcoholics, right? So uh, the people who had problems with alcohol uh, were prayed for and some were not prayed for. And we found that prayer did not make a difference. So this is what we get out of this. Scientifically, sometimes prayer helps and sometimes prayer doesn't. How that fits in religiously is very difficult to look at. Uh, now, the other thing that I want to look at is um, people's experience of seeing a psychiatrist, because if we look at the states, just the United States, uh, it's about 90% of the population have a belief in God. But when it comes to psychiatrists, it's about 45% of psychiatrists that have a belief in God. So, and this was another study out of the 90s, there's a gap. There's a gap there that isn't being filled. And so the question is, should people go to psychiatrists that have a faith or, as you were talking about, people go to other psychotherapists? So you're talking about ministers, you're mm -hmm. talking about imams, you are talking about rabbis, you are talking about shamans. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm going to bring us back to a book that was written in the 1960s. This is a book from 1965. It was by Jerome Frank, and it uh, was basically called healing 
And what he looked at was all healers, all psychotherapists, from doctors to ministers to shamans, and they each had a healing effect. So there is something common to people who call themselves healers in their ability to work with people. Now, scientifically, we still don't know the mechanisms of that, but we do know that if you avail yourself of people who are experts, then they do a few things for you. They will give you knowledge. They will look at your emotions. They will hold the problem for you and work through things with you. They will give you hope and give you new experiences that will help in whatever you need to go through. And all of these things are very therapeutic. <laughs> Thank you, Doc. <laughs> that's pretty, that's a lot of breakdown there, you know, and, and well, again, yeah. you know, I mean, to your point, I mean, the world has a lot of options and, uh, you know, uh, we've talked, so we have so many, I mean, this is like third season. So we've had so many topics that we've covered and it all comes down to the mind. And I think I have a few questions that actually we're going to talk about that in, in, in further details right now. But yeah. so, so, so I appreciate that. And I think, you know, uh, at least our audiences, whatever they stand in terms of religion, they have the ability now to, to at least gauge that, you know, first of all, even if you have the belief, you know, medically, you might need some assistance from that aspect of it. And there is that. And so there is, there is a, a nice little balance and to each his own, as we say, not everybody wants to accept one thing versus the other. And that's okay yeah. too. You know, we have choices, right? Uh, so, so I'm going to bring uh, our uh, question to the screen. Yes. So here it comes. Okay, so this is from Catherine, Catherine Sullivan. I am a uh, neurogeriatric cognitive psychologist. Wow. My concern is that most life coaches do not know how to recognize early onset dementia. What do you suggest? Okay, so that's actually a good question, uh, Catherine. Uh, as a neurogeriatric cognitive psychologist, you are qualified to be able to give diagnoses in a particular area, and that has to do with early onset dementia. And you you talked about the idea of life coaches. Now, a life coach is not normally a doctor. A life coach does not have expertise in one particular area. So it, when it comes to the idea of diagnosis, that's when a cognitive psychologist uh, has certain qualifications that help. And this is when we trust the science, that there are certain people that have trained in an area to know what they are doing, because to give somebody a diagnosis is a big thing. So what is a life coach supposed to do? A life coach is supposed to coach somebody in life so that their life is better. But anybody who is a life coach needs to know a line when to say, you know what, I think you need to talk to a doctor about that. I think you need to see somebody. I'm not quite sure what's going on because all of us, even cognitive psychologists and uh, adult psychiatrists, we have our limits in our knowledge and we can't actually work beyond our limits when it's not therapeutic for the person uh, that we're working with. So when it comes in the case of early onset dementia, which is a very specialized area and one which is important to get right as soon as we can, it's important to see somebody like you or a doctor, a geriatrician, who can actually do the diagnosis properly. So, so doctor, I, I, you know, I work with, with the, the senior community uh, in yeah. the States and, uh, you know, dementia is just a big deal. And uh, it is, it is sometimes difficult, you know, for uh, not, 
not only the person that's going through it, but also the people that, that, that are around that person, right? So the caregivers, the family members. Uh, since we're talking about this, uh, I mean, they're the first live coaches <laughs> within that particular parameter. I mean, obviously, seeking help is one thing. Definitely asking for the next level help, which like the psychology or psychotherapy. Uh, but but really, the people. What would you tell them? You know, like uh, to how how would they mitigate some of that? At least to absorb and accept. You know, the change. Because, for example, if you know my 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 mom or my father is going through yeah. this, yeah, I, I'm just as affected with with. Yeah the repercussions yeah and that's that's a big toll on me so since we're talking about this topic you know what are some of the recommendations uh you know and dr catherine you please you know jump into as well if you have any up, update there but but certainly you know what are some of the things we can tell our audiences if they are dealing with dementia or somebody that has dementia uh, on set or ongoing so okay so the the main message hurricane is you've got to take care of yourself as well to the point where if you need to see a therapist or somebody like a minister, somebody who is a help person for you, taking care just of you. That's actually very important because when somebody gets unwell, let's say with early onset dementia or any type of dementia, then as you said, it affects all the people around them. Now, the thing is that we don't want the people around the person with dementia falling off the perch, okay? Not being able to cope anymore because then you have more people unwell. And, um, yeah, it, it, it breaks my heart to see just how much this affects families. And uh, I have some of this going on in my family at the moment. And the, um, the answer is for everybody to know that to make sure that they have the help that they need personally and that they help to the extent that they can help without falling over themselves because we all have our roles to play in life, Hurricane. And when somebody is unwell, the question that you have to ask is, what is my role in this particular situation? Thank you, doctor. And and again, it is it is. I, I'm sorry to hear that you know that something is going on in the family. Yeah. But uh, but but you're right. I mean, and by the way, uh, that this is a question for me. I mean, uh, we talk geriatrics here. I mean, does can dementia be in any younger person? I'm just curious. Well, uh, it, this comes down to Dr. Catherine Sullivan's question of uh, early onset dementia. What is early onset dementia? It, it's dementia in a young person. How young? Well, when somebody is in their 80s, uh, dementia is more prevalent. When they're in their 70s, it sometimes happens. But when you're in your 60s and you get a form of dementia, then that is early onset dementia. And I have worked with people whose spouse developed dementia in their 50s and that is tragically early de onset dementia and it does happen for various reasons that science does not always understand so so that is that like a neuro neurological uh, you know uh, yes. issue yeah. okay so so that's what yeah, it is. so it's, it's it's what we call a neurodegenerative disease which basically means that there is something breaking down in the brain that shouldn't be breaking down. So sometimes there's buildup of toxins. Sometimes there's a uh, buildup of um, uh, of age-related changes that happen earlier than they should. And uh, if if we all live to be 120, one would expect that eventually these things would build up in all of us. But um, when it happens early in your 50s or your 60s, uh, it prof uh, it profoundly affects your life. 
Okay, Dr. So, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so if we're talking about the causes of dementia, uh, there is a buildup of uh, toxins, there's a buildup of age-related changes, and they have done uh, studies on what's called telomeres. So the, uh, the parts of our cells that basically tell us our lifespan, and when we get to the end of, it's like getting to the end of a candle, sort of, whoops, there's no more candle there, so this is the end of your life. And for some people, these telomeres break down prematurely, and we don't understand why. And this whole idea of the body clock and how long we're supposed to be living and what makes a difference in that, we are just starting to, uh, to understand. So, for example, your biological age may not be the same as your chronological age. So your chronological age is your birthday. If you are 70 this birthday, but people say, hey, you're looking good for 70, that means your biological age is younger than 70. Whereas there are some people who have had very difficult experiences where their biological age is older than their chronological age. So some people at 50 look as though they're already 65 or 70. And so there's a difference between what happens in time, linear time, and what happens with body changes. And we don't know all about that yet, but there are differences. All right. Well, thank you, Doc. So so I, I do have a few comments from Dr. Catherine here, uh, Dr. Sullivan. And, uh, you know, she also wants to, to add some comments. I did uh, ask if you can join us in the discussion by calling in. So let's see if that happens. Yeah. Uh, uh, but in the meantime, let me just uh, show the uh, notes. Give me one second here. Got to catch up with them here. Okay. This is, yeah. So there's a great paper called The Mental Health Matrix. It makes the distinguishing the difference between subjective quality of life compared to pathology. Yes. Uh, so uh, psychiatry, uh, and, and this is something that Catherine's uh, getting at here, psychiatry is, it's all about fixing people. It's fi fixing about what goes wrong. Whereas psychology is not always about fixing people. It's about looking what goes right and looking at how the mind works. So I gather that this uh, paper called Mental Health Matrix uh, looks at this difference between the subjective quality of life so in other words, how you feel your life is going and the pathology. So what's actually going wrong in your mind or in your brain? Thank you for the comment, Dr. Catherine Sullivan. All right. So let's see if we can have Dr. join us in a discussion by calling in. So Dr. Uh, the number is on the screen. That's 732-332-8493. Uh, if not, Doctor, you can certainly uh, just uh, put in the comments. You know, like that you want to add in on the the comment sheet right now, like whatever uh, we're, I guess, having a little chat, and then I'll I'll post it to the screen, and and Doctor will interact with it. Um, I'm I'm assuming you got that, Doc. So <laughs> I got that. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm talking about Doctor Catherine here. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, yeah. Please do call in, and uh, we are we are ready for your. Oh, there she is. Uh, Unfortunately, doctor, we're not able to hear you. Sorry about that. We lost Dr. Sullivan. Uh, but but we you know please stay with us on the discussion, on the comments, and I'll I'll relate them to to Dr. Heim. In the meantime, I'm gonna go to our next question, um, which is probably relevant to everybody watching and listening right now. So um, are you ready, doctor? I'm ready. 
We live in a world where everyone is displaying wealth and boasts through social media. There is hardly any privacy, and it seems that it has become standard to share everything personal and or enticing, which can lead to the peer pressure factor keeping up with Jones's uh, syndrome, which impacts people and creates an unhealthy environment leading to stress, anxiety, pressures, and family issues, including divorce, suicide, yeah. and tendencies. What tools does psychiatry offer to alleviate these things and help people? Uh, this is Janet. Uh, Florida. Okay, Janet from Florida, thank you for your very important question. Uh, unfortunately, what you say is true. We live in a world where uh, there isn't much privacy and everything needs to be shared, or so it seems. And so uh, all the disparity in uh, our wealth is seen on social media. Now, psychiatry doesn't actually offer any tools as such because we are still gathering evidence as to what the impact of social media is on the human brain and on our behavior. And until we get the evidence and then work out what to do about it, there's a time lag because things are changing very quickly. However, Janet, I've put out a, a, a video and it's, it's called Social Media Addiction. Uh, and it looks at all the evidence that shows how much of a problem social media actually is. And the one tool that we have is our ability to switch off, to turn off from the internet and make sure that we engage with people face to face. So on that video, I give, I believe it is eight tips that people can use to make sure that they turn off from too much social media and turn on to the people that are right in front of them. So one thing that I encourage people to do, and if there's one thing that you can do for yourself, it is increase the amount of meal time that you have with people around you. There are some people that are not having a daily meal with other people. People actually have their meals in front of social media or they're sick of their family, so they don't get together. But where we've gone from a society that used to have six meals a week together 50 years ago, we are now at a society where to have one meal together a week is becoming a rarity. So if you, Janet, in your world can turn that around somehow so that you actually have meals together with whoever you live with, if that's your family or if it's a group of college friends or a group of work friends, then have meals together. If you're having no meals together a week, have one a week. If you're having one a week, have two a week. The more face-to-face -face time we can have, the more our real world becomes the interaction that we have with the people around us rather than the interaction that we have on screens, which is a virtual world, not a real world. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. Uh, it, it's a, you know, it's really a, a nightmare. I mean, unfortunately it's, it's happening everywhere and it is, it is difficult because I mean, I, I'm on, obviously I'm on social media every day, you yeah. know, and, and, and I see a lot of that and, uh, there's a lot of marketing that's going on, uh, and it's becoming very enticing to people like, you know, or at least, you know, everybody wants what everybody else has. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, People have limited means, whatever, but now they feel obligated to to really like you know I want to do more and uh, you know some of it is motivating. Don't get me wrong. I mean, yes, I, I, right. there there is a you know a, a piece of that, but then some of it could be difficult for people because you know they see all the stuff that is probably not as attainable as people think, and at least not in the fashion that sometimes is being portrayed. I mean, you hear some yes. of these things like oh you can become a millionaire overnight. 
I mean, uh, I'm not sure if that's possible. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. I haven't met one that actually kind of, unless you win a lottery or something. But yes. I mean, it does take some work. But but certainly, you know, attainable, achievable, if you do the, you know, put the time and everything else. But I think yes. we need to just drive that message that, you know, everything you see, you know, whether it's a yacht, whether it's a Rolls Royce, whether it's a Ferrari, whatever, a light luxury lifestyle, a billionaire lifestyle, you know, these folks have done the work and they, they've gone there and they made it there. Uh, and uh, also there's the other part, you know, some some of these things are brands that are, you know, uh, sponsoring some of these dresses, some of these cars and things as a, as a means to promote their products. And therefore, some of these people are actually their marketers or their influencers. Yes. And so yes. so let's not be uh, foolish about, you know, what. let's understand the reality. I think if we are in, in the reality piece, we can uh, navigate easier. But if yes. we just live in the fantasy that, you know, oh, my God, yeah, I think that's going to be a problem. And, and yes. at least that's my opinion. Though. Yes, no, no, totally right, uh, uh, Hurricane. And what I want to do is take us into the brain to see how this works, because this is the, the, re this is the real tool that psychiatry can offer. And there are two parts of the brain that I want to talk about. Hurricane, you spoke about motivation. Now, motivation is mediated in the brain by a chemical called dopamine. And we've spoken about dopamine before because it's very uh, important in mediating our experience of pleasure, which we all like. It mediates uh, motivation. It mediates curiosity so that if we can't actually enjoy a certain clothes ourselves, we will enjoy watching other people that have those clothes and imagining what it might be like if we had it. The trouble is if we get off social media, that dopamine hit then finishes and then we end up in a low. So that's the one thing that keeps us hooked on uh, social media and keeps us hooked on wanting things that we don't have. Now, you also uh, mentioned how other people who have, let's say, a yacht have put in certain effort to get to that yacht. So I want to take us to another place in the brain. This is called the orbitofrontal cortex. And this is another place that we've talked upon, uh, talked about before. It's right in the front of your brain. In fact, when you go to a party, your orbitofrontal cortex arrives before the rest of your brain does. It leads you. And we don't talk enough about it. Uh, and what I mean by that is the orbitofrontal cortex is the place where we make decisions. And people believe that we live in a random world at the moment and that it just all happens and we just randomly drag ourselves through it <clears throat> when the reality is our brain's orbital frontal cortex makes decisions as to what we do every day we have to make those decisions so what i'm saying hurricane is that choice and decisions are important so to actually put in effort to achieve something in a week or two that you haven't achieved now is a decision that needs to be made in the orbitofrontal cortex. And that decision is real. You have the power to make that choice. However, <clears throat> you've got dopamine pleasure and the social media and the internet working against you actually getting up from your computer to make a choice and activate it in your life. And that's where we come back to motivation and the people around you <clears throat> can keep you motivated to do the things that you should be doing in life so that you actually move forward. Thank you, doctor. I mean, motivation is a big thing. You know, I mean, I, I do a lot of it personally on the show yeah. and stuff, uh, but, but it is, it is important. Like you, 
if you believe in something, you're going to pursue it. And, you know, but, but it's your own time, your own limits, your own means. I think sometimes that is important to, to realize what you have to work with. And uh, if you do it correctly, you shouldn't, don't worry about the rest. I mean, I think, you know, you can set your targets, eyes on the prize, as I always say, but go yeah. for it, but just don't, don't compete and, and, and expect that the results are going to be the same for everybody else uh, just because circumstances are different for one from the other. There's so many things that can be factors why someone can move faster than the other in the same direction. At the end of the day, it's like, like it's a marathon, right? You got to get to the finish line. Well, that's true. But there's something else happening here, uh, um, Hurricane, because you and I, I hate to say it, but we have older brains. So our brain remembers a time when there was not social media, there was no internet. So uh, let, let me assume that somebody like Janet is in her early 20s and she has grown up with social media and the internet as part of her life. And so her brain is different to our brains. She's also gone through a very telling time in her life when she had COVID and we all spent a whole lot more time indoors glued to screens. That happened to all of us. And the effects of that on a younger generation, unfortunately, is more, which means that somebody like Janet has to listen to the things that we're saying here, Hurricane, and use her orbitofrontal cortex to say, damn it, I'm going to make a difference here. I'm not going to let the social media dictate what I do with my brain. I'm going to decide to be engaged with the people around me, get more sunshine, and I even tell people like Janet just to go for a walk, because when you go for a walk, you're moving forward. And then when you think about what does it mean to move forward, it means to have a direction, to go where you want to go, to go in life and get what you want to get and figure out how to get there. Because you know what, Hurricane, it takes effort and it takes more effort in an age of social media and the Internet. You know, it's, it's amazing because it sounds like, you know, at least for, from the, the perception it, it, it looks like there is no effort needed, yet it's the opposite. <laughs> it's a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort, Hurricane. And I we know. don't like saying that because nobody wants to hear how much effort life is. Okay. Well, but, but, but doctor, so, so, you know, maybe there is a message to, to the people sometimes that, that, that are promoting these things, you know, that, yes. you know, you are, you're given uh, maybe in a light of motivation, you're also giving people false uh, expectations, I would say. Yes, you are. I, I'm just being as blunt as it is, but yes, you you know, because because listen, I have been working on a lot of things, and I'm I'm doing left and right, and I've been doing good in my career, but and everything. But you know what? Everything comes with a price and time, and you do stuff, and you know some people have different, I guess, lucks if you want to call them that way. Whatever, I don't believe in luck. You know, just you know outcomes yes. and, and and based on your, on your work. Yes. But 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 just when you can promote this stuff, that's great. But I think you should yes. tell people, hey, uh, don't don't take this lightly because results may vary and you need to put in the time, the effort and the energy and the money, whatever it takes. But, but they just don't think that this is going to be like, Hey, cool. Overnight it's happening. You know, yes, listen, right. I, I'm in sales. I've been in sales. It's that's all right. about motivation and incentive and right. incentivizing people. And, and, but it's, it's work to be done. That's it. I mean, it's that, work to be done. Yeah. And, and, and so, so we go back to something that Janet said uh, right at the beginning. Uh, one thing that she said is that there's so many comparisons with other people. And when you make these comparisons, and we have studies that show this, you end up depressed, you end up anxious, and you end up hopeless. So the thing that I also say to people like Janet is, rather than compare yourself with other people, put in the effort to be the best you that you can be.
So you're not comparing yourself with other people, but you're comparing yourself with how you were six months ago. How am I compared to how I was six months ago? Am I doing better? Am I heading in the right direction? Am I moving forward? And if that becomes your goal, and if your motivation becomes the people around you, then you don't compare yourself with people on the internet who have yachts, Ferraris, or more fame, but you compare yourself with yourself and you go, you know what? I'm moving forward and I'm moving forward to become the best me that I can be and moving forward in better relationships with the people around me. Yeah, doctor, thank you for, 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 for really putting that out because really the only person you compete with is yourself and, and, and the one that you were today or yesterday. And, you know, you take it one day at a time and that's right. And, and again, it will happen. I, I know for a fact that if you put your way into it, it's going to happen, uh, you know, and you have to be resilient. You have to be patient and uh, just keep the determination and the ambition. Uh, Hurricane, you know. you're exactly right, because even walking, it will happen. If you put one foot in front of the other, you will start to move forward. And we take that for granted. But if you actually think about it, it's actually a miracle that we can move forward simply by walking. And it becomes a metaphor for life that as long as you put one foot in front of the other and take steps in the direction that you want to go, you're going to get closer every day. You're going to get closer. And one day you'll get there. Doctor, you know, it's funny. I'm listening to you, but there's something that just popped up in my mind is that, yeah. uh, you know, and you talked about like how our brains are different because we, we remember before the social media and all the stuff, yeah. but you know, you know, I think one of the, the issues that's happening is that people, the younger folks right now are, yeah. are seeing it differently. And I think that's an issue yeah. because they think that everything is going to be, easier or like you know they can achieve so they want to cut corners or maybe they want to bypass you know the necessary steps which yes. is not real it's not realistic yes. and so yes. again because that that causes psychological effect on people because now you're like you're you're hopeless because you're not seeing things you're spinning wheels apparently and, and yes. you're like you're feeling well why am i not getting those results that's because it's not going to happen the way you think because you've seen a picture of anything. And listen, I've been cruising all over the world and I've seen a lot of yachts out there, you know, on, on ports. Yeah. They look nice. I would love to have one, but, you know, I know it takes a lot to get there, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, so you, you, if you don't take the necessary, you know, uh, I guess, pieces and parts and, 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 and blocking, like building blocks, nothing's going to happen. A building, you know, like you look at these Freedom Tower, for example, in New York, it took years to actually build back, right? You know, yeah, uh, yeah. the foundation itself took years. So, so yeah. nothing that is worth something is going to be like overnight. That's it. Yes. yes. And, and, and I'm freezing. It looks funny on the picture. Here, so. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and, and that's, that's the difference when, when young people who figure this out that say they are, I, I have to put in the effort first. There's just no way that life is going to be easy. So, uh, I've talked about this before. The whole reason that we have a car is because we didn't like walking. So we learned to ride horses. Horses weren't fast enough. So we got a few horses. Then we started getting cars and their cars got faster and faster. Also that our life can become more convenient. However, to build a car takes a whole lot of people to be able to put in the effort to put in a whole factory to put in cars for everybody. But when it comes down to the individual, we want the convenience and the problem with social media and the internet is it gives us too much convenience when really we need to keep putting in effort somewhere thank you doctor uh, by the way 
right now we're great on the audio but i don't know what's going on but our faces are like just frozen <laughs> so, <laughs> so people are watching right now like you know we just have a funny face both of us <laughs> uh anyway so i'm gonna go to the next question hopefully this this frame will actually unfreeze any minute uh so uh are there known psychological reasons that drive human envy and jealousy and why is it that some people tend to always want what others have rather than be content or work for what they want Derek, Georgia. Okay. Okay. So, so Derek asks a very, very interesting question. And to get into this question, Derek, I'm going to look at the word jealousy because it's actually the jealous is the same word as zealous. So uh, jealous is when you want something that somebody else has, whereas zealous is when you want something very much for yourself. Now, the thing is that jealousy comes from things that you love and things that you're passionate about. So what I'm saying through all of this, Derek, is that the energy of this emotion can become positive or negative. And so if you feel these emotions in yourself, the idea is to be able to mix thoughts with the emotion so that you're using your frontal lobe of your brain to mix with your limbic system to get the outcome that you want. So let's say Derek says, I'm feeling really jealous at the moment because somebody's got something that I don't want. So you think about it and you go, that means that I want something. And want is motivation. And if you say, all right, if I want this, what can I do to get it? Now, uh, I'm, I'm just not encouraging you to go out to get somebody else's girlfriend, Derek, okay? I'm encouraging you <laughs> to go out and get a job that you think is nice because somebody else has it, right? Uh, the thing is that the energy of jealousy can work for or against you, and that becomes your choice. And we're back in that area of the uh, brain that we talked about before, the orbitofrontal cortex, where we make choices. Thank you, doctor. I, um, is, that, is that a start? Is that a start hurricane for what Derek wants? Oh, I think that's that's perfect. I, you know, I, the concept of jealousy to me, I, I cannot comprehend it. I mean, I, I I hear you, doctor, but you know, you want something bad. I I get it. We want a lot of things in life, and I, I personally don't believe that if someone has something great, you know, I should I'm I'm happy for them. You know, what I mean, yeah, I, I want them to have more of it. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't care what they have because that's what they achieved. And I think je jealousy is, is, you know, like negative. I mean, I can want what they want and what yeah. they have, and I just work for it and, you know, wish them well and just, you know, get what, and I think the, the biggest part is being content. You know, people yeah. are not content with what they are yeah. like. Now we talked about religion before. And, and when you think about religious people, you know, typically tend to believe that there is. Uh, you know, it's meant for me or not meant for me, right? Not every, you're not, you know, some people are going to be richer than others and so on and so forth. You know, uh, there is that concept. And, you know, it, it actually almost talks about not being envious or jealous for other people and, and not wishing for people to lose whatever they have. Because I think that's the thing. When people are jealous about, some, about something, whatever they have, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, a wife, kids, money, whatever, they tend to typically... Um, want that stuff to to leave them to actually to to lose that stuff like they almost wish bad ill uh, on those people and yeah. and i you know and that's the part that i just cannot comprehend i mean 
everybody's different everybody's life is 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 meant different i mean our lifespans are different our you know everything about you or i for example is different right and uh, i am not you you're not me and my destiny is different we meet <laughs> in this world and that's how it is and you know i i see a lot of beautiful things out there and i say you know what hey great man you know i love when someone says oh that's a beautiful car nice car you know but there's you can feel that the person is happy for you not like yes damn why why do you have this car you don't deserve this car <laughs> you know yeah 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 so um what you've just put to us hurricane is is a life view where we can wish each other well because good experiences are what we all want and when somebody else gets it you can actually wish them well rather than ill okay so in other words you don't have to go into competition with everybody However, some people feel really strong emotions and they don't know how to handle these emotions. And jealousy is one of these emotions. Uh, so before I talk about that... Doctor? I, I just want to talk about the difference uh, between envy and jealousy. Okay, so imagine that you're walking down a street in Paris and you see this couple at a cafe and the sun is shining and they seem to be really enjoying themselves and you're alone. And so you start feeling one of these emotions, envy or jealousy. Okay, but then you get closer and you realize that one of the people that's sitting there is actually your girlfriend. Right. And that's either envy or jealousy. All right. And people 100% know that wanting what somebody else has is just envy. However, when something is happening, happening to somebody that you care about, that that becomes jealousy. And in a lot of males in particular, a very strong jealous reaction can rise up to the point where people get so angry that they can do some damage. And pathological jealousy is a psychiatric condition that often needs hospitalization. So what do you do in this situation? Okay, when you have these strong emotions, first of all, you've got to know that you're in the grip of a strong emotion. And okay, so I give people a red light uh, and a green light, and a, so a traffic light. So mm. when you're in the grip of a strong emotion, you see a red light. When you see red, stop everything that you're doing. Then you go to amber or yellow. And this is an area where you think, think, what's the next thing I'm going to say? Think, what's the next thing I'm going to do? And then you go to green. And green means go. Do something when you know that it's safe and you have planned it. So when you use this traffic light of red, yellow, and green, you can use it to help you handle strong emotions. Uh, and I, I have on the internet a whole lot of techniques of how to handle strong emotions, but this is probably the most immediate so that when you know that you're in the grip of a strong emotion, you stop everything that you're doing and you don't say or do anything. Then you think, which is yellow, and then you only go to green when you know it's going to be safe. I love it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's a very simple concept. <laughs> It's amazing. Like, doctor, I, I'm telling you, I love what, how you break it down, you know, and, and when you visualize this, it just makes it easier. I think for someone watching and listening right now, I'm not sure about watching because we're frozen, but but definitely listen, listening, you know, the idea is is very clear. I think I, I, 
I can see it exactly how you you're actually describing it, doctor. Yeah, yeah. Well, particularly for young males, uh, young males are strong. Uh, they're driven by testosterone and they can do a lot of damage and young males actually don't want to do a lot of damage uh, and the thing is that a lot of people then sort of deny their emotions or push away their emotions uh, and the problem with that is you don't end up controlling your emotions and this is where you've got to get your emotions which happen in the limbic system and mix them with thoughts thoughts happen in the frontal lobe of the brain and when you mix those two together you go okay I am in the midst of a strong emotion. What am I going to do next? What am I going to do? And you think before putting the body into action. D Doctor, we ju you just got frozen in that last sentence. If you don't mind, you know, uh, you just please repeat it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, the, the last sentence. Okay. So the last sentence was when you combine your thoughts and your strong feelings, then you can think and say, what is the next thing I'm going to say or do? And you can choose your words and your actions before putting the body into motion. All right. I, I think, I think uh, you know, that's a powerful advice, I think, for all of us. And, uh, you know, uh, for me personally, I can take that because uh, it is important for each one of us to actually use what we hear and apply it in real life. I mean, I, I, it's funny, I always make this joke, you know, with some other guests, you know, that I'm the first customer of my own shows. I, I just, absorb, I absorb everything and, you know, yeah. you're my, you're, you're my doctor. I mean, <laughs> I know we don't have that relationship, like a, like a doctor <laughs> relationship, but I, I, I take all this stuff and, you know, it really keeps me motivated. And, uh, and by the way, I take this also through my family and, and, you know, it's working in my family. It's helping me, you know, uh, deal with different things within my own personal life. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's really what it is. It's real applications and real uh, resources, or at least, uh, I guess, systems that we can apply in real life that can get us through every day's life and, and really be yeah. happier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's why um, the, the work that I do is based on science so that I can talk about these things and then uh, you and other people can then translate it into whatever's needed in life at that time, be it in your family or in your motivational work that you do, Hurricane. Well, doctor, you know, again, you're doing this. And I would say, you know, first I want to thank you as always, you know, we're coming to the end of the show. I always want to thank you for, for your coming, you know, to this show and, and, and even you know, doing this for like, I mean, three seasons now we're, we're getting there. I mean, it's been, it's been a long run. Yeah. A long run. And, and I, you know, I, I really appreciate everything that, that you've done for our network here and for the show and, and, and for the people around the world. And I, you know, I follow you. I, I enjoy those, those, uh, you know, clips of, of you doing your pitches around the world and uh you know it's it's important i think sometimes to uh just take and absorb and and pick some stuff that are going gonna to be good tools for us to live a happier life and a better life also be better in this world and and, and as we always yeah. talk about contribute better yeah thank you very much hurricane because uh i appreciate the opportunity that you've you've given me to be able to talk about these things so we're a team and that becomes a metaphor for the way the world needs to work. If we work together as a team, we can create and accomplish so much more. There's no I in team. <laughs> uh, you, you, you know, we've talked about it. Unity, in unity, there is strength. And, and you know, we're 
only going to get stronger by helping each other and holding each other, you know, tighter. And again, look, I mean, we're from two different parts of the world, different beliefs, different everything. But you know what? This proves that we can all work together in harmony and make it work. And, uh, you know, I hope that message, you know, uh, resonates well with, with people watching and, and listening around the world. And we're going to keep doing this. And uh, doctor, may I, you know, I mean, I, I know you're, you're going to be in the States in, in about a month or so. And, uh, you know, we will promote that that event and hopefully, uh, you know, people can even join us, whatever we are, because we're going to do a live show actually from, uh, uh, you know, an actual uh, location in the city. And so uh, maybe people can come in and, and meet with you, doctor. How about that? It's going to be great. Hurricane, looking forward to that. Uh, when that live show happens, we will be there with you in the States. Uh, unfortunately, next month, uh, we'll be somewhere along the way, so we won't have our monthly one, but we're looking forward to being with you there somewhere on the East Coast. Well, yeah, that's okay, because the next one will be early on, and, uh, you know, we will be together, which will be the yeah. first in three years. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it, Doctor. Looking forward to it, Hurricane. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. Uh, Dr. Heim with us, as always. Climb to your prime with Dr. Heim. That's our monthly live uh, Q&A. Uh, please do send in your questions and we have a whole bunch left, you know, from today, uh, for the next one. And, uh, again, uh, do join us, comment and, uh, you know, please interact with us. This is your show and, uh, it only can help. Uh, that being said, uh, thank you so much for being with us and we'll be talking, uh, I guess not June in July sometimes, and we're not going to tell the date until until it's close, so it will be uh, promoted before so people can actually catch us up on, on the real live uh, set together, me and Dr. Heim. And I think Dr. Caroline will be with you, right, Doctor? Oh, she certainly will. That's right. Hurricane. All right. So, so we'll have, I'll have the whole, the, the dynamic duo. <laughs> you know, both <laughs> doctors will be on the set, you know. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting, you know, and a more powerful, you know, uh, uh, because I think I think you're also talking about the book that we talked about last show, and so that's that's uh, about relationships and things like that. Yeah, it's going to be very very interesting. So uh, I look forward to that, and we'll be answering questions as well. All right, Doctor Willison, you have a, a great Saturday. <laughs> Thank you, and you have a great rest of Friday. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> we'll be talking soon, man. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh -huh.